There are times when you want to take the spirit of a monster and master it. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with Tristan Fischel about his mega-sized Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition supplement, the Tome of Monsters. Representing every creature in the Monster Manual, play out your fantasy as you wield their monstrous abilities to magnificent effect. We talk about monsters, building classes, and improvising. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am super excited to be joined by yet another wonderful creator. Tristan, thank you so much for coming onto the show with me this week. I am absolutely thrilled to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. It's one of those things where it's been a little while since I've recorded, so like a little rusty, let me know. But (laughs) (laughs) there was like this huge amount where I got a lot of people who talked to me over the summer and then I didn't record for two months. So uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're um, happy to have you here and I'm really excited to be talking about, we're going to be mainly focusing on the Toma monsters today, but you have so much cool stuff in your little repertoire there of games. You got some really cool stuff that's upcoming that you told me about. I'm really excited to be, be talking about that with you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. It's uh, there's this is there's a lot going on, <laughs> so it's 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 good to have a, a focus. <laughs> well, before we get talking about your projects, though, do you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm Tr- I'm Tristan Fischel. Hi. Uh, I uh, I've been playing role playing games for really long time. I started uh, with uh, my brother. When I was little, he would run me through his, uh, his D&D dungeons to try to test them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, w- I was a guinea pig for a while before I, I was actually playing. Uh, but once I got into it, I, I really got into it. And I was just, my, my family was pretty deeply immersed in uh, a lot of that sort of nerd culture stuff. So I, I've it's been a, a big part of my life. And once I got to a certain point, uh, I got really into design uh, at first for home games. And then I got into it more from a freelancing perspective. Okay. That's actually how we met that freelancing part because yeah. of sneak attack presses graveyard of the gods. You were one of the people who wrote on it. Which adventures are you writing slash? Did you write for? So for, um, for Graveyard of the Gods, I wrote the uh, the Isles of Metal, which was uh, the corpse of the war god, yes. uh, where people fought for eternal glory <laughs> and mined his divine armor and stuff like that. I think we talked like pretty in depth about that one too. Actually, that was like one of the ones we went <laughs> pretty heavy to examples with. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> There's like a lot of cool stuff to have, and you are specifically what we're talking about with your projects today is actually a lot of the 5e supplements that you've done, and how you've designed some of this stuff is so cool and adds so much to their world. And we're going to talk about more D&D stuff in just a moment, but I noticed there that you mentioned that your your family was really into 
the whole nerd culture. We were talking before <laughs> about like Lord of the Rings. So do you remember yeah. like your first like real click with the genre and like that nerd culture? My first real click. Um you know, this is probably the case for a good number of people, but I, I think it would have to be, like you were saying, Lord of the Rings, that Lord of the Rings trilogy, those movies, yeah, um, they, they're such like an approachable <laughs> uh, way to get it. They're, they're the gateway drug uh, <laughs> <laughs> into like nerd stuff. So th- there was a fair amount going on, but I, I think those might be the first things where my, my brother made me sit down and like marathon them. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. How old were you? <laughs> I was. I'm not sure. I was pretty young. He he's uh ten years older than I am, okay. so he was he was very into it. Uh, and he like I, I've worked on him with a lot of um, writing projects and stuff like that mm-hmm. for uh, for like tabletop content. Um. I think I would have been probably like seven or eight, maybe a little bit older. Okay. So realistically, you've been going for about as long as you really can to to grasp what you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just kind of evolved from there then. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that was an introduction. I definitely... Um, uh, you know, tabletops came not long after that. Uh, especially, I mean, D and D was uh, my intro, and uh, my brother got me like a Pathfinder starter set for one of my birthdays, the first edition of Pathfinder. Thirteenth mm-hmm. uh, Age, Blades in the Dark, kind of more recent interests, but yeah. So, so all of that stuff, I, I'd say a lot of it stemmed from Lord of the Rings, just because I I liked seeing the cool guys fight with swords. <laughs> And the hobbits <laughs> talking about meals and stuff. It was. <laughs> it's a weird combination, but yeah, I get you. It really is. <laughs> so, what was your first edition then? Of D and D. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would be the the one there. It was uh, three point five, but I don't think I don't know if my brother ever even owned the books. We have like the starter set. I distinctly remember we would walk to our neighbor's house a lot to like borrow. <laughs> the player's handbook and stuff because he was the one that owned them. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so 3.5 is where I started. Um, I, I dabbled in fourth a little bit, and then fifth, fifth I think, is where a lot of people got like more into it. Just, I, I was at the right age, and uh, it, it yeah. was very approachable, yeah. Yeah, I fifth was my first edition of D&D. Not my first tabletop game, but it was definitely my first edition. And then I went all over the place on what I was playing. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been an adventure with uh, that company, <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff going on with it. Some good, some less good, but like, <laughs> people are talking about it, and more people in the tabletop role-playing game space isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But Tristan, that is not what we're here to talk about right now. We're <laughs> here to talk about your stuff here. So, what is the Tome of Monsters? So, the, the Tome of Monsters is a um, massive player-focused expansion to Five E. Uh, 
it's mostly subclasses. It the the yeah. the main you know like the elevator pitch for it is it is one subclass for every monster in the monster manual. Um, and then there's also a few feats and spells and stuff like that that are all monster themed thrown in there as well. But the the vast majority of it is just dozens and dozens and dozens of new subclasses. It's rad. There's it's 183 <laughs> pages. I think it's like 174 without like credits and like the end cards and stuff like that. Yeah. But like it's so much and like I think you only got like eight feats. <laughs> so it's like it's mostly subclasses. It's rad. It's it's a lot of subclasses. Yeah. I sort of ran out of time towards the end to add um more feats and spells if i'm being honest but uh i think you know a little cherry on the top there <laughs> so what how this thing come up to be because like obviously most people would be like they had that conversation with the gm where they've polymorphed themselves or <laughs> they want to polymorph themselves the dm's like no you can't do that it's too powerful or that's not the one we'll say. <laughs> and we all want to play the monsters. Let's be honest. We all want to play the monsters sometimes. Absolutely. And, we all want to wild shape into the owl bear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so where where did this come from? Because it's a huge project. Yeah. Yeah. It it really is. Uh <laughs> so th- <laughs> this this definitely came from that urge. Uh that sort of like I, I want to be more monstrous. I want to. I want to be more involved because the, the monsters are like a big draw of D anD. d You got the mm-hmm. you know big old beholder on the cover or what of the monster manual. Um, and I had a player, uh, who who was very very interested in that aspect, and he felt like he couldn't he couldn't find kind of that sort of. Um, he couldn't find quite the right fit with the available stuff. So I was thinking about what a sort of cool, like more monster themed subclass would be. Uh, and there is this excellent, excellent project on the DMs guild. Um, the title escapes me right now, uh, but it, it it's easy to find. It's, I think it's, it's just something along the lines of like, you know, D and D playable monstrous races or something like that. Oh yes, uh, I think I actually know exactly and it's, which one it's you're a playable about. race. <laughs> yeah, uh, for every monster in the monster manual, and I thought about it and I was like, "That is insane! That is a massive project." Um, and my my player loved that one, <laughs> and that helped him kind of find that more monstrous feel he was looking for. And I I ended up just sort of combining that concept of. Um, Many, 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 many monsters uh, with a, a more accessibility for the players, basically. Mm-hmm. That's one other thing here. I think because you have, I think the least one is like clerics, and it's still like 12 subclasses. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did balancing go into these, or was it just kind of like building around certain? guidelines and making sure nothing was too overpowered? Uh, that's how it started. Uh, I, I tried my absolute best to test these. Uh, personally, I, I couldn't do all of them by myself. I had some friends help me out. Um, 
and we would run a ton. This this uh, started a long time ago. So when kind of quarantine was still uh, uh, just starting out, very important in my area. Yeah, we we ran a lot of online games. Um, so I <laughs> most of these are are tested uh, at least at least lightly. Some of them, mm. some of the the uh, just the the ones that we were more excited about got tested a couple times. I had players use these in like you know campaigns. Um, uh, initially, yeah, it was it was definitely more focused around like okay, at this level, you know, fifth level artificers need to have basically the equivalent of a second attack, but it's different for everyone. How you got to do that, and and it sort of grew from there. Mm-hmm. So. With so many, there's obviously some favorites. Which one? Which ones are you either exceptionally proud of, or you just really like? <laughs> um, let me think about it. the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is um the Godmaker domain for the clerics. Uh, that was based off of the um the uh I'm blanking on their names the Kuatoa. From the monster manual, um, who are like not—I I have not used them much in my games. Just like little little fish people. And when I was working on this project, I came to appreciate them more because their their lore is super interesting. They um, they like make their own gods basically, uh, but when they do so, the more of them that believe in that god, the more uh, like that collective belief belief manifests into actual power. And oh. uh, that sounded like a really fun idea for a cleric subclass. So that one operates around uh, you kind of try to sway people to this new god, and it, the more powerful you become, the more followers you can bring to it, uh, that god manifests and gives you actual power kind of based around what you think that god is. So it's a very flexible, uh, very flexible domain. See, I like that a lot because there are a number of actual plays and home games where you have the cleric kind of try to build a cult. We'll, we'll say <laughs> it's like a super common trope. They even, I mean, Critical Role did it in yeah <laughs> in their previous. Uh, session they they dealt with that with laura bailey's character and having an entire kind of character right down to the subclass built around that is super intriguing (laughs) to me i love that Um, my personal favorite is the tundra walker because as i said before in the pre-show i am very partial to rangers thematically also super drawn to like tundra and desert so and yetis yetis are cool let's be honest <laughs> that is absolutely true <laughs> super common in all lore but like yetis are rad <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
there there were definitely some pretty major challenges. Um, I think the biggest one was honestly just trying to keep everything um, not only distinct from like what already exists, but from each other, just because the sheer number of subclasses. Um, I really didn't want to end up just like rehashing things uh, and producing, you know, a bunch of very similar uh, uh, subclasses. And because mm -hmm. of that, the, I will. So I say every monster in the monster manual. That's true. Some of them ended up being, you know, like the lizard folk king and the lizard folk warrior didn't each get a subclass, uh, but that turned into one lizard folk themed subclass. Uh, yeah, it's more so the the archetype of the monster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not like you had an individual one for like every. <laughs> I don't know, Beholder, because there's like 40 different types of Beholders at this point. <laughs> or Water Elemental, that's probably like a better one to go with. <laughs> there's a couple of really fun ones. I mean, I think even like the Flumph has its own <laughs> character the subclass. The Flumph does have its own subclass. <laughs> I love Flumphs, man. For those of you who are wondering, the Flumph subclass is called the fervor magic sorcerer <laughs> and they are actually really really well built and very fun in the tomo monsters i really like how your your fervor magic one is built i'm really glad <laughs> i think the thing that makes it so distinct though is that like you really did for the most part like i mean obviously when you're making 70 more 70 plus new subclasses some of them will like overlap sometimes but everything mm -hmm. feels so distinct and it really does capture those monsters tropes in a really interesting fun way yeah that that's really great to hear because that was definitely my my number one priority uh when designing all of this was was keeping them distinct keeping that kind of flavor of the monster uh that that was very, very important to me. Now, Tristan, do you have a particular favorite monster that you were really excited to to design for? Um, a favorite monster. I I am a big fan of uh I'm a really big fan of Sphinxes. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh it, sort of thematically, uh I really enjoy the Sphinxes and my the the one of them was a wizard sub because there's two in the monster manual. One of them became a wizard subclass, uh, which is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, mm -hmm. That one, that's sort of um, about full depth of knowledge, and you can affect your spells in weird ways. It's it's sort of reminiscent of the uh, of the battle master, the the fighter subclass. Yes. Um, so it gives maneuvers for spells and stuff like that instead of attacks. And I, I also, I love kobolds. <laughs> those are I'm, probably... Yeah. I love <laughs> those kobolds. Those are probably my favorites. <laughs> I I think that they are one of the most fun groups of monsters to use. Absolutely. Kobolds are amazing. <laughs> Just GMs out there who are listening to this. Kobolds are great. Kobolds are great. Make sure you build their layer fun, and you could actually <laughs> cause some really big issues for your players with <laughs> the weakest monsters in the game. 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I adore kobolds. They're one of those monsters that I think are just like a fun one to use. And like everybody knows them. When they come up, yeah. people laugh. I think your kobold <laughs> archetype is actually an artificer, isn't it? It is, yeah. The trapper. I'll have to look at that one after because that <laughs> sounds super fun. Tristan, as a 5e designer, there is a lot of content coming out for it all the time. It's obviously because it's so widespread, but what do you think really makes, what do you think the drive is for folks to start creating for 5e? What what drove you? What do you think might be the thing that really sparks people to homebrew for this game? I think uh, D&D, you know, it has like a huge impact uh, on the tabletop industry. It's really well known. A lot of people, it's their first introduction to the hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's got a lot of appeal. It's got that classic high fantasy feel. It's got um, a relatively simple to use system, especially 5e. Uh, and I, I think when you put all that together, the thing that really makes people want to do homebrew is they're just having a good time with their friends and they want to just tell more stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want to introduce those new ideas. Uh, I know that that's definitely how I got into it. It was, you know, it was never uh, something I intended to do uh, professionally. It just sort of evolved because I I was just messing around making stuff for my games. Uh, You know, monsters, magic items, new player options, all those things. I, I think it's just that urge people who are playing have to kind of broaden the types of stories that they can tell and kind of tailor it to their table. I think that's one of the flexibilities with 5e as well, is the number, or the ease, I should say, not even the number of really quick, really simple home rules that you can make. I know recently I've been running a 5e game for my partner and some of her friends. And we wanted to make criticals a little, like your critical hits on your natural 20 attacks, a little more um, masochistic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that was really easy to do because what, a player character can do a monster gets to do back, right? That's just how we <laughs> ruled our nat twenties. Yeah. We almost lost a character our first game to a bugbear. <laughs> Mine's a fan deliver. Early game design, rough on new players. Just <laughs> gonna throw it out there. It's uh before they found their stride. But I think that I agree on that part there. It's easy to design for. And I think you see it in the indie communities too. The issues with 5e are easy to work around. And if you're telling the stories about wanting to be heroes and adventures, it's really easy to do. It's easy to visualize it. Mm -hmm. I think that adds to it and adds to how character creation or not character creation content creation works for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tristan, are there any monsters in the Tome of Monster that you missed out on that you really wanted to create for, but just like, 
either didn't have the time or couldn't figure out a way to do it justice? Um, I would. I mean, every every monster in there got something, or every type of monster. The only things I didn't touch were um, the animals and the NPCs, kind of in the uh, appendices in the back. Right. So, like the uh, beasts and the human yeah. like, mercenaries and stuff like that. Yeah. So th- there, there was always a part of me. <laughs> there was always <laughs> a part of me that kind of wanted to make something for some of the animals. Um, not all of, just some of the weird ones, because there's like. Even though they're in the the beast section, there's things like the blink dog and stuff. Uh, mm. Where I was like, that would be that would make for a cool subclass. But I was already running low on time, and I was like, if I touch some of it, I'm gonna want to try to do all of it. So I ended up just kind of leaving that appendix alone, uh, which I regret a little bit. But I I managed to get everything else, so I, I felt pretty good about it overall. I think something that's important to remind listeners too this is for the most part the monster manual not tome of foes or foes guide to beasts like yes yeah because there are a lot of really cool things in those books too but this document would have taken you four (laughs) years to write had you yeah there was there was only so far i could go (laughs) (laughs) But I think you've done them justice. I handpicked a couple that I really liked the sound of when I was... Really what I did was I looked at some of my favorite monsters in the monster manual. And then I I used a search function to see if they were in the book. And the answer for the most part was yes. And then I (laughs) saw how you built them out. And I like it. I really like this book. I could definitely see it especially from a fairness perspective as well, because it is like, as far as I can tell, I can't see anything that's like overly broken, which is usually a huge (laughs) issue with homebrew stuff is you find one class that you really like and you, you really like it. (laughs) I've done it before when writing stuff, I've made that and all, all the GMs out there know what I'm talking about. You make that one character or that one class <laughs> or that one monster. It's a little too tough. Absolutely. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you definitely made them like really easy to find, really easy to work with, and really easy to in- implement for players. That's great to hear. Yeah, it was definitely that temptation was there. That temptation was definitely there. <laughs> and there, there's always kind of a challenge, right? How do, how do I make a kobold subclass equal in power to, you know, a Tarask subclass? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and for the most part, the mechanics of the game were, were super useful for guiding that. Uh, so overall, but the, yeah, that temptation was definitely yeah. there. <laughs> but that's one of the things there. It's, you were able to kind of keep in control there and keep it going. Tristan, you've also worked on a couple other projects and one that I think is actually really important, super short read, and that is Improvisation at the Table. Yeah. I think it's actually eight pages long after the text and stuff. And this is just 
a breakdown of, I would even say rules, but guidelines on improving at the table. It's super useful. <laughs> I was a I was a drama teacher at like a summer camp, and I do voice work now. And you've you've hit the the improv stuff like right on the head. Why do you think it was like important enough for you to write this down and put it out there for players and game masters to to get their hands on? Uh, so I I run a very um, role play heavy game just because that's that's what I enjoy that's what my players really enjoy I uh, my my first like consistent D and D group was a bunch of my friends from theater class in high school uh, <laughs> and so I I always kind of struggled with um, adjusting to what they wanted to do right when they wanted to drive the story it can be really tricky for new GMs, uh, myself included, when I was starting out, uh, to adjust for whatever tomfoolery they end up getting into, whatever, whenever they go off track and you have nothing prepared. <laughs> that was something I really struggled with. And I, I joined my high school improv team. And a couple months in, I realized there was, there was a noticeable increase in, in the quality of my game um, <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of my enjoyment of it. It, it felt a lot less stressful. Um, it, it felt a lot less stressful overall. And um, I started thinking about that more and I, I talked with my brother about it a fair amount. Uh, and that, that's sort of those core tenets, right? Obviously, you know, Im- improvised sketch comedy doesn't transfer over perfectly into a tabletop game about fantasy, but those core <laughs> concepts are <laughs> those core concepts are absolutely invaluable. Um, not just for players going uh, off script, but for what when they you know fail a check, uh, when they are not doing well in a fight, when they you know they don't make their athletics uh, roll and they start to fall off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, you don't want them to just fall and go splat and then call it a night and that's where everything ends. Uh, so th- those tenets of improv um, about basically just moving forward are so, so useful uh, to a- any story-driven game, I think. I can definitely agree with that. I have distinct memories of games I've played where I have failed to check and then wasn't sure what to do with my character because I was kind of left in dead air, I think is mm-hmm. the best way to put it. We'll go to a, a very common D&D enemy, the door. <laughs> when everybody fails their check to get through the door, and this yeah. is going to happen at least once, <laughs> what do you do then? Because even the GM is like, I don't know why you can't get to this door. <laughs> just absolutely hates you. And you need that backup plan because it can't just be you, you, the door just opens on your natural to you. I feel bad. We all want to move on. 
your natural mm-hmm. two gets the door open. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is the bane of every GM's existence. I uh, you hit it right on the right on the head of the nail there. That you know when the barbarian can't kick it down and the rogue can't pick the lock and the wizard can't unlock it with magic. What what do you do then? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like yeah we we missed something the because i th- i think the great thing too is like it's such an important skill in this hobby is at least having an understanding of improv because it makes the experience more enjoyable for everybody and i think mm-hmm. that what you how you've written it specifically not even what you've written is it's more of a guide to best practices than it is mm-hmm. hard rules it's a short it's a short really really quite in-depth read on just things to keep in mind you don't need to memorize the the improv book it's just good to know your core tenets yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. It definitely felt like um you know, it would be sort of counterintuitive to write like a big thick tome about <laughs> improvising. <laughs> uh so that yeah, the the focus is is mostly on a few core ideas that you just you know, keep them in mind. Um apply when necessary. They're nice to have. Mm-hmm. Uh and and it can really it can really change your game a lot. There's some that just need to be done too. Like you should, as a GM, be doing them, like taking in session notes or consulting with your players. Mm-hmm. Those are so important yeah. <laughs> to do. Those <laughs> know what your players want to do so that you don't have a boring game. Like, yeah, exactly. Talk, talk to each other. Talk to your players. Number one rule. <laughs> you should probably be playing this game with people you consider friends, or at least yeah. want to be friends with. <laughs> Um, talk to your friends, please. <laughs> I've seen too many campaigns fall apart and friendships get ruined because people will not talk to their friends. <laughs> Another thing that's kind of been big in the D&D community right now has actually been the relatively recent announcement of D&D 1. I know that earlier today, and we talked a little bit about this in the pre-show, was some of the announcements about their their class reworks and stuff like that and how they plan on releasing Unearthed Arcana with the build-up to D&D 1. What are your thoughts on it so far? So far, I am... I'm pretty excited. Uh, when, when we're recording right now, they just uh, released sort of the the preamble to the next packet that's coming out, the second packet. Uh, but we don't actually have the packet yet. We, we have an interview about the packet. Um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I'm very excited. I, I think the, uh, the more people we have, right, giving feedback, um, the better this is going to end up being for sure. And I, mm-hmm. I'm grateful that the process seems pretty open uh, so far. Uh, lots of opportunities to kind of read through it, test it out, yep. uh, say our, voice our thoughts, our opinions. Um, but a lot of the changes they're making, 
I, I so far, I mean, again, not much as uh, we only have the one packet right now, but a lot of the changes they're making, I thought were at the very least interesting. Um, and some of those I thought were, were pretty good. I like the concept of what they're doing. I mm -hmm. have some issues with the execution. <laughs> <laughs> They've definitely had some poor choices made. That is definitely true. <laughs> yeah. The the idea that they're sending across is one that I think is a large company that is starting to take the right, like, take some good steps mm -hmm. to making something that's as inclusive and well-rounded as it claimed to be five years ago. <laughs> I have a lot of hope for it. I'm excited to hopefully be able to play a ranger. Yeah. I'm curious to see how they're going to balance things because even in that video, they talked a little <laughs> bit about their own, not concerns, but <laughs> the process of balancing yeah. classes so <laughs> I'm excited to see how it turns out. I know the community's excited yeah. too. Cautiously hopeful. Yeah, cautiously optimistic. <laughs> and I know that for the most part, the community is at least interested. Eyes are on yeah. Wizards to see how this goes. Absolutely. And I, I, I think it's not um, super controversial to say they've made some pretty big uh, missteps in the last couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. that have definitely garnered a lot of dissatisfaction. Um, so I think, hopefully, this is a, a good way to, um, you know, get some goodwill, uh, show that people's... Um, it's, it's tricky. There's a lot of different opinions on what it should be, but sort of um, get some people's thoughts into the game, uh, making it more inclusive. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing because you know D and D is such a a massive share of the market. Yes, uh, and it's a huge company, and they crank out you know tons of books per year. Um, and, and because of that, it's very slow to change. Whereas you can go to a smaller indie creator and play their game, and you you can just like talk to them about it a lot of the time. Uh, yep. <laughs> you can go meet them. And, and discuss it and get really great insight into why it is the way it is and they can you know make changes to it it's it's mm -hmm. more maneuverable uh, so hopefully this is this is a good chance to to fix fix some errors yeah and a lot of that comes down to the lore stuff too I think one of the community in general our big hold on the game is sometimes forgetting that at the core of D&D, &D, it's not like a, um, it's not about social encounters, even though the game does have some mechanics for building mm -hmm. that. Like, realistically, you look through most of your abilities, most of the book, it's very skirmish slash combat. Absolutely. Heavy. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think that when we're talking about what this game should be, we got to remember too that D and D one is still probably going to be a skirmish combat game. Yeah, mostly a combat game. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so 
here's something that I've been excited about. And we talked a little bit about one of the things you're working on. And you've mentioned that there's a lot of stuff that's coming up, but you have a whole bunch of stuff that you're working on and constantly turning out. So I was wondering if you could give us a little insight on uh, on some of the little things that you're working on there, Tristan. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the, the thing that is uh, fast approaching, uh, I'm hoping to release it sometime in October, uh, mid-October, is a, a new class that I designed, uh, the Mastermind in 5e. So that's another 5e project. Uh, very um, sort of Sherlock Holmesy feel, uh, an archetype that I I felt like was not fully represented uh, in Dungeons and Dragons right now. Uh, but that's a project I'm very very excited about, and it's it's all uh, it, it's almost completely done right now. So it should come out sometime next month. Yeah, I think that they tried to do that with, I think it was the Rogue class, the Mastermind. Yeah, there was a Rogue subclass. And that's kind of where I drew the name from. Uh, because that that was, yeah, that was sort of that feel. But the, the base kind of assumptions of the Rogue, um, just like for, for me and, and for a friend I was playing with who really uh, wanted to play more of a, sort of investigator type character. It just wasn't wasn't quite doing it for Rogue for was so not not the class to make that. <laughs> exactly. It's like <laughs> the the mastermind requires int wisdom and charisma. But also Dex <laughs> because you're a rogue. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh it definitely yeah it it built on that concept a little bit but it's it's very distinct from the rogue. It's very distinct from that subclass. Um, no borrowed abilities or anything like that. Uh, and overall, I, I'm really happy with how it turned out. There's, um, I don't know, the, have you ever watched the uh, Sherlock Holmes movies with um, Robert Downey Jr.? Yes, uh, very. I, I watched the first one. Gotcha, yeah. There's there's a great fight scene. I don't remember which movie it's from. I think the first one, uh, oh. where he plays <laughs> out the whole thing in his head, uh, and he's like narrating all the things he anticipates and how he'll respond, and then he executes it super quickly. Uh, and that that is basically what got my mind spinning for the masterminds. That's kind of the the core fantasy of the class uh, is like insight and intelligence. Um, and a deep understanding of, of uh, many, many things and applying that in battle. I think that's a way better way to execute something called the mastermind. <laughs> um, <laughs> level three ability to use help as a bonus action just uh, <laughs> doesn't seem mastermindish to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very excited about that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to see it, especially as I play more 5e again and get back into it. Tristan, we've been going for about about 45 minutes now. If uh, oh, we knock off that time that we spent during the pre-record. So we're kind of getting close to the end here, but I got two more questions for you before we really wrap it up. 
Okay, sounds good. So what are the first questions I have? And I ask this on every single episode, but what advice can you give to new creators looking to make their own projects, but they're not sure where to start? That's a great question. I think the number one piece of advice that I could give is, um, I mean, you know, once you've actually started working on the thing, uh, there, there are so many great resources out there that you can use. It's so many great people you can meet. Um, I think the best thing you can do is honestly, don't be afraid to just send an email and ask for advice, uh, or just to, to chat with people, you know, about stuff you're passionate about, uh, in these circles. Cause there, there are so many incredible people, uh, that I've met and that have given me such fantastic advice and insight. Um, and I've had wonderful, wonderful conversations with about, you know, a ton of things that goes beyond even just, uh, tabletops uh so i i think don't don't be afraid to uh to reach out there's some fantastic people out there uh and a lot of them are are very happy to to just chat a lot of them will be excited if you're excited is a great way that i've seen it and like a lot of discords too have people who are just excited about other people's projects so i can totally yeah that one absolutely well yeah i think that's phenomenal advice it's super useful and it's incredibly true i mean without without the response of creators scheduled for launch would not exist so (laughs) (laughs) take take this from me people want to talk about the same stuff that you want to talk about whether it's your thing or their thing they want to talk about it (laughs) tristan where can people find out more about your work and you? Uh, so right now, uh, unfortunately, uh, my website is no longer on the face of this earth. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but my, my brother and I are working on um, a combined one, and that's not quite up yet. But if, if you're interested in it, it should be up soon. Uh, and I, I'm on Twitter. I, I believe my handle is just like Tristan Fischel or Tristan underscore official or something like that. And uh, the minute the minute that the the website is up, I will I will send word, <laughs> and that will have um that will have a ton of stuff on it. That'll have links to to my previous work, and then also uh, my brother and I are super excited to be working on um, a lot of stuff right now. A uh, an interview podcast. Uh, we're working on a newsletter right now. And um, we're uh, currently in the process of revising a book that we're doing uh, about proactive gaming. Uh, and that's that's all set up and everything. We just have to get the final manuscript done. So tons of good stuff. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have that ready soon. <laughs> Excellent. As always, audience, those links will be down in the description below. It is, by the way, Tristan underscore official. And for those of you out there, it's the one of uh, that has the lovely cat as the banner. It's a very, it's a very comfy looking cat. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, my cat is uh, a good, you know, a symbol, symbol of Tristan Fischel. Cupcake the cat. <laughs> oh, cupcake! I love it. Cupcake, yeah. My dog's name's Maple, so I I understand that. 
honestly though tristan thank you so much for joining me on the show this week it was great to kind of get back into this and have such a uh, wonderfully excited and fun guest to talk about basically talk about monsters and (laughs) cool stuff you can do with them in 5e so i'm super i had a great time thank you so much for joining me this week absolutely thank you so much for having me this was this was absolutely absolutely fantastic well you are most welcome and audience thank you so much for listening tristan and the tomo monsters have already launched so go out there and check them out right now on dm's guild links are down in the description below but until then take care of yourselves have a good night and i'll see you on the next one bye Thank you so much to Tristan for joining me on the show this week. If it wasn't obvious, I was a bit sick when we recorded this, but the conversation was a great way to get me back into the interviewing process, and I just really appreciated it. Go check out the Toma Monsters and Tristan's other work, because it's really well done and can really spice up a lot of your 5e games. And thank you so much for listening, audience. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please let somebody know. We're in that wonky time before the holidays where folks are getting busy and finding new creators to come onto the podcast is getting a little difficult. So if you are developing something or want me to reach out to someone, I would really appreciate it if you pass those names along to me or to them, just somebody I would love to have more creators on and things are a little slow right now. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That's all from me though. Take care of yourselves and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.